I think ultimately it, it just affects the bottom line in terms of productivity, satisfaction, growth. Welcome to the Joy Powered Workspace podcast, where we help HR and business leaders embrace joy in the workplace. I'm Susan White, owner of Susan Tinder White Consulting, an HR consulting practice. Joining me is my co-host and dear friend, Jody Curtis, owner of Purple Inc., an organization that I'm an executive collaborator with. Today's episode is focused on loneliness at work. According to a 2023 Glassdoor economic research survey of over 2,000 people, over half of employees feel lonely all or most of the time at work. It seems to be those with less work experience are experiencing more loneliness. Those with six to 10 years in the workplace, 47% of them describe themselves as feeling lonely. But those with 11 or more years of service, only 15% of them say they're lonely at work. So there is a dramatic drop off the longer you are at an organization. Maybe it's giving you more time to make friends, to feel more at home, but Certainly, you're going to lose employees likely in the first few years of employment if they don't actually connect with others. Right. Loneliness at work has increased 11% since January of 2022. This Glassdoor study reported that when evaluating job satisfaction, feeling socially connected to colleagues is critically important to workers. In fact, 89% believe feeling a sense of belonging within their company is vital to their overall workplace happiness. And 49% say a good social life at work has a significant impact on their overall job satisfaction and mental health. To learn more about loneliness at work, we've invited a guest, Jan Freed, PhD. After 30 years of college teaching, Jan left a tenured full professor and endowed chair position to practice what she was teaching. Jan has a recurring column in Training Magazine, both online and in print. Jan's latest book came out in January 2023, entitled Breadcrumb Legacy, How Great Leaders Live a Life Worth Remembering. Welcome, Jan. We're very glad you're here. Well, thank you very much. I'm honored. So, Jan, why are we hearing so much about loneliness at work right now? You know, the research I've done is loneliness was an epidemic before the pandemic. And so, you know, as workplaces are trying to come back together you know, the pandemic forced people into social isolation, but people were lonely even before that. So I think it's just a number of things, you know, uh, social media gets a lot of credit for um, isolating people, you know, sitting on our, our mechanisms, our machines, but that forced isolation and, um, you know, people at home and just a whole idea of COVID um, and people losing people. I don't want to say my father died of COVID, but I, it definitely affected his uh, length of life. So oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I think those are kind of the primary things right now. No, that makes good sense. Why are people feeling lonely, especially at work? There's a lot of uh, discussion, uh, debate, research now about remote workers. And what's interesting, and I've done a lot of work in this area, is that you know, like right now, even in my town of uh, or my city of Des Moines, Iowa, several of the big insurance companies are requiring people to go back to work at least three days a week. And man, many of them say that they can choose the days that they want to come back. I think that's very reasonable. I personally, as a person who taught business management and leadership for 30 years, I think that 
you know, the culture and get you, you learn so much from being around others. So I personally am kind of uh, uh, definitely an advocate for hybrid workplaces. But workers got used to autonomy, flexibility, and I'm amazed at the young people who say they, I was just speaking with someone the other day. Now she's in her mid thirties, but she said, I want to look for a new job, but I want it to be remote. And I, I just never heard anyone be that direct about it. So I think that's why, you know, workers getting back because actually she described, she said, well, I work for a, you know, right now I'm a hybrid, but I'd rather be remote because when I go to work, I never know who's there. There may not be anybody there because the day I pick, they're not. So I think there's just a lot of confusion around us. And so I think workers are, employees are hesitant to give up the control that I think they felt during COVID. Right. You know, it seems to me that people who work hybrid or want to work just alone, you know, at from home, I would think their loneliness would be higher because they're not engaging with, you know, strangers or making friends at work. But are you finding that not that's not so true? People who are in workplaces with people that they don't know and love, they're feeling the loneliness. Do you have a point of view on that? I think, you know, if you're lonely at work, you're lonely at home. And I, it just follows you is what I think. And I think when people are at home, you hear a lot of, well, I can get a lot of things done. So I can, you know, I can be work at work, but I can also get the laundry done and I can, you know, have something in the oven for dinner. You know, I think people are really multitasking and forgetting that it's easy to kind of forget you're lonely. And again, I like to emphasize that there's a difference between being alone and feeling lonely. I guess I would go back to, there's research that says people don't have like five good friends to count on. Like, you know, some people don't have a person who in emergency they could call. So this whole idea of that's when you know you're you're really lonely, that you feel like you don't have a support group. There's no one you can count on. There's no one you can confide in. You're really lonely. So the the fact of relationships which I have a chapter in my breadcrumb legacy book on relationships and loneliness go hand in hand. I don't know if you've heard of the recent book, um, the good life by Robert Waldinger on the Harvard longitudinal study. And after 80 years or more of studying people, what really makes people happy, it's relationships. It's not quantity, but it's the quality of relationships. And do people have a, he calls it social fitness. You know, do you have, we have to work at being fit socially that um, because people die, they move, they retire, especially in the workplace. So you have to constantly be thinking about cultivating new friends. And most people don't think like that. Right. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a really excellent point. I'm going to check that book out. Yeah. And Jan, why do you think HR professionals and business leaders should be worried about this topic of loneliness at work? Because I think ultimately it, it just affects the bottom line in terms of productivity, satisfaction, growth. I think um, to me, I would compare it a lot to higher education, you know, where if students are lonely, they're not going to be probably performing very well. You know, a lot of it is, in fact, when I was college professor, we had to recruit students and I can't remember the book now, but there's research that says that students who are in at least one activity are more likely to stay in college, perform better. You know, it's that social connection again. 
And um, so I would always, when I'm recruiting students, I would always say, now it's really important, regardless of the institution, it's really important that you find some tribe, some connection to keep you in the institution, because otherwise people feel like, well, I don't fit, this isn't right for me, or I don't like it here. So, um, you know, I think that that connection is so important because it does affect performance and particularly in any kind of collaborative workplace where you work in teams. You know, it's interesting you're talking about students, Jan. Of course, that's what you've done for 30 years. Mm -hmm. But a good friend of mine went this weekend with her sister and her nephew to drop him off at college. And he went to Creighton University, which is nine hours away. And but that's where he wanted to go. And he was there two days and he texted his sister and or his sister texted him. And, and she said, how are you doing? And he said, I'm lonely. Oh, and I ouch. thought that was interesting in that. You know, 20 years ago, we would have said the words, yeah, he's a little bit homesick. Right. But that word lonely was just like painful for me to hear. And of course, the whole time he had been there so far were all these orientation activities, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. maybe more going on to include right. than ever again. But so when you're talking about students or employees, how do people make friends? Well, that is something that I'm spending a lot of time <laughs> developing. Um, and I'm working on that because it at, the older we get, it's harder to make friends. You know, most of our friends are what we call front end loaded. What that means is we meet people in elementary school friends, high school friends, college friends. Then, you know, you might get married, you have kids, you meet friends through your kids. Um, all that tends to be front end loaded. So when your kids are, you know, in college or out of college and you're working, you know, some, some of your best friends are now retiring from the workforce. And so, again, I think making friends is really important and it's difficult. So a couple tips. I think you've got to take the initiative and reach out. For instance, I'll give you an example. Um, about a month ago, another couple in our neighborhood who are good friends of ours, we've had a lot of turnover in our neighborhood, older people going to retirement places, younger people moving in. And so we have a lot of neighbors that we really don't know. We wave to them as we drive by. So I suggested to her, I said, well, would you want to co-host? Let's do a, a cocktail party from five to seven on a Sunday night. and." I hand wrote invitations and I hand delivered them and let's invite people we don't know in the neighborhood, people we don't know. So if we know them well, you know, we're just going to like somebody said, how come we weren't invited? I said, I already know you. You know, So we, <laughs> so we intentionally invited people we don't know. And I said that on the invitation. I said, we're inviting people to get to know each other. Uh, and we're inviting you because we don't know you, you know, and we had a great turnout. I think there was only one couple who didn't come. And we said, bring kids if you want. And we had probably 30 people and everybody enjoyed it and uh, had name tags. So, you know, taking the initiative 
And that's just a neighborhood thing. But, you know, I often say in the workplace, if there's somebody who looks interesting, you know, ask them for coffee, ask them for lunch, you know, make a coffee date. Um, I like to get to know new people. Um, One of the things that I often do is if a good friend is having, um, well, okay, here's another recent example. So a friend of mine, she's relatively recently divorced and wanted to move to Denver. So she got a job in Denver and I said, okay, I'd like to have a little dinner party for you and you can invite the guests. So I didn't know anybody she invited. And even though she's a pretty good friend of mine, she's more of a professional friend of mine. um, I didn't know anybody she invited. And I said, you can invite up to like, I think I said eight people, 10 at a max with my husband and myself. And, um, you know, that's another way to meet new people. So I think you have to take the initiative. And I also, because it takes some, it takes some effort, you know, it takes some time, it takes some thought and everybody, you know, who came to that neighborhood cocktail party, I mean, I got thank you notes and I mean, people just really appreciated it. And now, you know, Mm -hmm. you can put a name to a face and you have some idea of what they're like, if you want to include them in something else. So those are just, you know, a couple recent examples where I've taken the initiative and, you know, will these people be good friends? I don't know, but I think I could go borrow a cup of sugar now. Where I don't think before, you know, it's going to save you mileage to the grocery for sure. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I think you know, taking the initiative, being somewhat creative, getting out of your comfort zone, mm-hmm. I think is important. So you know, that's where I would start there. But um, actually, I'm working on a a big paper about this whole topic. So I'm very passionate about it. You know, um, it's so funny you mentioned this, and I won't get too sidetracked by this, but just last night I watched a movie on Netflix called Palms, P-O-M-S, and it came out in 2019, but I'd never heard of it, and Diane Keaton is the star. There are lots of stars in it, and she just found out that she, in the movie, that she had terminal cancer. And she was moving to a um, retirement village after living in her house for 45 years. And she wanted to be around more people. And so they told her at the village they could join any club they wanted or they could start their own. And she started a cheerleading club. Oh, that is funny. And because initially she wasn't making friends and she didn't know anyone. And they said, well, what do you like to do? Or what did you used to like to do? And she said, well, I was a cheerleader in high school. And then all these women who turns out were lonely or looking for something in their lives join. And it is funny, but it is it is so real. I think, yeah, maybe not cheerleading, but yeah, well, no, I think that's in, did you say that was on Netflix? Yes. Okay. I'm going to look that up. That's great because I was a cheerleader. <laughs> yeah, I was too. Yeah. Yeah. I was so, a grade school cheerleader. Yeah. All that. Oh, I didn't even, we didn't have them in grade school, but in high school and college, both. I. Wow. So anyway, I'll, I'll look that up for sure because a good friend of mine is, is we always talk about cheerleading. She was a cheerleader. Yes. Friend. But oh. you reminded me of, a, of an example that I talk in my book and um, the, cha- the chapter title is called uh, Who Will Help You Move the Couch? And it's a story about my husband because uh, he had asked me to move the couch and or we were, we were doing some painting, I think. And, you know, he said, well, let's go move the couch. And I said, 
well, yeah, we need to move the couch, but don't you have, can't you call a friend to move a couch? And he goes, no, who would I call? You know, I don't want to bother. That's a man, you know, man mm-hmm. thing. I don't want to bother someone. I said, well, you need more friends. <laughs> and he didn't get offended because I said to him, if you weren't here, I could call somebody to help me move the couch. Yeah. And he didn't get offended. He kind of said, well, you know, well, what should I do? So I said to him, well, you love to read, start a men's book group. And I said, don't invite all your best friends because you already know them. Invite a couple who you really enjoy and then have them invite a couple and then have them invite a couple and set a limit. Um, But really try to emphasize you want to pick people who enjoy reading. And it has been very successful. He never wants to miss it. He's so proud that he started it. People now want in it. And it's been a real, so now if, if we had to move a couch, he would have plenty of men to call. And again, that idea came to me just out of my research that, you know, you've got to take the initiative, you've got to get out of your comfort zone, and you've got to be aware that making friends takes some effort. You know, I think one of the things this movie sort of brought to like too was because I think there's a lot of people who would say like, well, I'm not an initiator or I don't want to start something, but it was all, it was not only that she started the club, but the women who were so thrilled to have been invited, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. It made made a difference on, on all sides. Yes. Yes. And I think that's, that same thing is true in my husband's book group. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they were selected and they were invited, they really want to stay in. And so um, that's interesting. Yeah, that's good. That's very special. So Jan, I know that you use a term called breadcrumb, breadcrumb legacy. Tell us a little bit about what does that mean? And how does it relate to trying to make sure you're not lonely at work? My previous book, uh, that came out in 2013, published by um, Association for Training and Development. And that was titled Leading with Wisdom, Sage Advice from 100 Experts. And one of the themes, every chapter is a theme after interviewing all these people. And I really did interview some of the biggies, Warren Bennis, Margaret Wheatley, Marshall Goldsmith, Parker wow. uh, Palmer. Uh, really, I it was exciting. And one of the themes that emerged that became a chapter was called Leaders Live Their Legacy. So I was asked to do some speaking on that book, some workshops on that book. And I would ask people, when do we leave our legacy? And people would say, well, when we leave, when we die, when we leave the earth, I'd say that's true. When we leave a career, we retire, I'd say that's true. I'd say, but what about when I leave this workshop? I leave this speaking engagement. What about you leave a meeting? We are leaving our legacy all the time. And recently I gave a workshop and a man said to me, because I I say, you know, if you think about your breadcrumb legacy daily, then it can be your true north. It can be your guiding light. It can be your moral compass. And this man in a workshop said, well, don't you think it's self-centered to be thinking about the legacy you're leaving every day? And I said, well, let's replace the word legacy with impact or influence. Mm -hmm. I said, do you think it's self-centered to be thinking about the impact you're having on others on a daily basis? Because your impact is not necessarily always positive. If you're not thinking about it and you're not intentional, your impact could be negative. And And then that negativity feeds into the workplace 
as what we call toxic leadership or the dark side of leadership. You know, I don't think most people, I also do a workshop on why good leaders go bad, but I don't think most people wake up in the morning and say, you know, I think today I'm going to be a bad leader. But I think it's the ego that takes over and then manifests itself in very negative, unhealthy behaviors in the workplace. And then that creates a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, these negative behaviors that I'm talking about, when the ego takes control, they often manifest in terms of greed, jealousy, envy, micromanaging, over-controlling, defensiveness, not open to feedback. All of these negative behaviors can literally make other people ill. So when you're really saying, you know, I need to leave really good breadcrumbs on a daily basis because I would not want to hurt anyone else. I think that that's powerful. And I might just mention that I've done two TEDx talks, both on chapters in my book. One is called Becoming a Nobody. And that was a virtual TED talk. And these can be found on YouTube. And the other one's called Embracing Death, Seeing Life Through a Different Lens. So I have a whole chapter in Breadcrumb Legacy on embracing death and how when you embrace death, you're really a healthier person. And I talk a lot about that. So love it. And what can we do to be making more positive changes in that area, either for ourselves? I mean, one of the things you just mentioned was to be more intentional, but maybe to help others do this as well. Especially about loneliness. Yeah. Well, first of all, we can't help others. It's kind of that airplane oxygen thing, you know, put on your mask first before you help others. We really can't help others unless we really help ourselves. So one of the the reactions to my book is people are really, it's gotten very positive feedback because at the end of each chapter, I have what I call breadcrumb ingredients for applying the concept chapters. So it really starts with self. And I think when it comes to loneliness, you know, so at the end of that chapter on relationships, who will help you move the couch? You know, I talk about uh, things that people can do. And some of the activities really you could do with your department or others on your team. Um, You know, for instance, one, one idea that I like a lot and I got from a professional conference is to have a talent show. At this professional conference, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, there were people there from University of Michigan, Yale, Harvard, University of Southern California, and it's a volunteer thing. You sign up, and it's another way to uh, get to know people. Now, some of these people, you know, a very powerful leadership guru at Yale is almost a professional saxophone player. And one woman, you know, again, who teaches leadership and business management was really trained to be an opera singer. So you have really, you know, but if you do this, like in your department or um, like I never performed, okay, because I didn't feel like, well, (laughs) but, but, you know, if you do this in your department with your workers or with your team, you could even call it a no talent show, you know, and what would, what what do people want to share about themselves with others? So, you know, you could say you could read your favorite poem. It could be something that you've written yourself. When I suggested this um, in a graduate class, one of the students who was actually a manager, he went back and did this. And he said he came to class, you know, weeks later and he said, 
It was so fun and people enjoyed it. He said somebody came in and they were showing us how they could juggle. They could juggle four things at once, you know. Um, somebody else came in and said and brought a backpack that this man, this male employee had sewn and made himself. So you just don't know what people, but that again is another way of relationships are a lot about trust. Well, first of all, it's hard to trust people you don't know, but you know, so you're building trust, you're learning something about someone else, creativity, and all of these things lead to conversation. So just a simple thing in the workplace is I encourage all of my coaching clients lead by asking questions, lead by asking questions because you build community. So instead of saying, you know, how was your weekend? Okay. No. What was most, what was the most enjoyable thing you did last weekend? You know, what are you looking forward to doing this weekend? Because that leads to a conversation. You know, someone could say, oh, it's my daughter's 10th birthday. Oh, great. What are you going to do? You know, any special plans? You know, so ask open-ended questions and then that will lead to conversation and that then helps build community. So I, I think one of the leader's jobs is to really help build community in the workplace and that can help address the loan. I mean, I think it really should be like number one, number one, build community. How do you do that? You've got to get to know people. How do you do that? You can start asking questions. You can take the initiative and plan some social activities. You know, I tell my coaching clients, you know, you know, if you want to plan some social events, create a little team and have them create it so that they're creating events that they want to do. And I think that's really important. So, you know, I think leaders need to think they need to build community and make that a priority. And in both of my books, Leading with Wisdom and Breadcrumb Legacy, I give all kinds of ideas of how to do that. Yeah, I think it's a really great advice. Jan, can you think of any companies out there that you think are organizations that are really leading the way in trying to build social capital and community with their employees? It used to be you would hear so much about Google and, you know, their kind of fun workplace. Um, My son is dating a woman now who works at Google, and she says, it's not so fun like that anymore. (laughs) I think it's gotten so big and, you know, she... So in terms of, you know, name recognition, you know, I'm not exactly sure. I keep, I keep beating this drum because I don't think enough of them are like that. Yeah, no, I think it's an important message. Um, I want to highlight one kind of local company. Um, It's an international company, but it's called Vermeer Manufacturing and they make farm equipment and they really do pay attention to building community. And one example I like to use for them is they really stay in touch with people who have retired and they invite them to town hall meetings and they want to keep them in the loop so that they know what's going on at the company because they know that they're ambassadors out into the community. So, you know, too many companies, this is another topic that I'm passionate about. Too many companies just encourage people to leave or leave early, you know, early retirement packages. And they don't try to do anything about really making those people feel good, feel honored, feel respected. And they don't try to capture the knowledge. So I call it lost knowledge. Wisdom is walking out the door. Mm -hmm. And um, so that that's another topic that I'm very passionate about. And uh, Jan, do you know of any other tools or resources that organizations are using or that we could encourage organizations to use? 
I just think organizations need to allocate some financial resources to give the, to encourage the leaders to build community. Okay. Now it doesn't have to take a lot of money. You know, my husband's firm is an example where quarterly they have social outings. It's again, it's planned by a small group of employees and, um, you know, they're simple like bowling. Okay. And bowling and pizza. And um, again, you don't have to have talent. You don't have to be great. You can be, you know, you can have fun bowling and and hardly score at all. Okay. But so it doesn't take a lot of money, but I think, and it's got to be like a sincere effort of you really want to build community because I'm working with a big manufacturing firm now and to try to build community. And it's a real challenge because people don't even want to show up to social things because they don't trust management and, and they're angry, they're hurt. And so I'm trying to heal a lot of things going on in the workplace, which is not easy, but important. So I think make, just making a prior, and, and I think expecting leaders to build community, you know, that that's part of their job. I think expecting that if you want to know why people are behaving the way they do or why they don't do certain things, you look at the reward system. What are you rewarding people? And if you're not, if you're not attaching any importance to building community, to how they're evaluated, it won't happen. Yeah. No, I think that's fair. Because it takes time and effort and work. And if they're saying, well, no one cares if I do it anyway, then. I think it's fair. So Jan, we'd love to ask all of our guests a joy powered question. What do you personally do to prevent your own loneliness at work? Today, I have a coffee date with a friend that I haven't seen for a while. I make a high priority of meeting with people. And I like one-on-ones, mm-hmm. you know, because that's, I think, how you really get to know people. And, you know, I encourage leaders in the workplace, you know, invite people to coffee or lunch one-on-one and don't talk about work. It's mm-hmm. all just, you know, getting to know one another. I call it old-fashioned dating. So I would say I do a lot of old fashioned dating with people. And uh, because now I am self-employed before I did have, you know, a department and uh, colleagues. But for the most part, you know, it's either I'm with clients or I'm by myself. And so I go out of my way to either schedule coffee or if I get asked, then I try to make it a priority to go. Yeah, that's great. And we will put links to your books and your TEDx links on our uh, show notes. But how might other people reach out to contact you if they want to learn more? So uh, my website, maybe you said that. And uh, my email is just janfreed at janfreed.com. So two N's and two E's on both sides. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Trying to get more active on Instagram. A little, I'm a little late to the game, but I'm trying. Um, but LinkedIn is really my best source. Um, if they go to my website, if they subscribe to my email, they would get an email newsletter monthly. It's easy to read and a monthly newsletter and a monthly podcast. I too have a podcast oh. called Becoming a Sage, where I interview people about work and life wisdom. And I've interviewed some interesting people on that. And that's just once a month. So if they do subscribe, they would only get two emails from me. And um, so I'd love them them to check out my website too. Yeah. Well, thank you. 
And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm honored. Yeah. Jody, wasn't that interesting? I thought Jan really had some good points. Yeah, it is fascinating to me. So many aspects of it about the difference in older employees or younger ones, even students, right? And how, in my example, too, we've we're more likely to use that term lonely. Not that it wasn't true before, but we just didn't call it that. Exactly. And I, I really do think the point about employers and, and leaders, HR leaders particularly, that we need to make sure that we're really focused on how do we create a community here at work and provide space and time for employees to get to know each other. Hopefully they're going to learn to like each other. Perhaps if we're lucky, they're going to build friendships because if people have friends that work, you can read any of the Gallup research done on this, they are so much less likely to leave you if they have a friend at work. They're so much more likely to be productive and engaged. I just think this is an important topic. And and Jan's point, you got to hold your leaders accountable for making it a priority, creating a sense of community. So I thought it was really insightful and I certainly enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, um, in the book, First Break, All the Rules, which Marcus Buckingham wrote with someone else that I should know, but I forget their name right now. But, you know, he they developed this, what they call the Q12, the 12 questions you should ask your employees or your teams or your leaders. And one of those questions is, do you have a best friend at work? And for so long, I, I've heard many people say they struggle with that question. They're not sure that's the right question, including me. But now I realize what he's getting at. A lot of he, Marcus, likes to have kind of extreme questions or go, instead of saying, do you have friends at work? He asks, do you have a best friend at work? And even if you do just have a lot of good friends, I think that's the point, you know. You are you engaged at work with other people? I, I think it's such a smart question. I look back on my career, and even when I've done some really difficult things, I think work-wise, when I had a really good friend that I was working on it with, honestly, it was just so much more joyful um, and so much easier to do. So, I think it's an important message, and I hope that our listeners, you know, they've got the interest as well in trying to figure out how do we help our employees make friends at work. Right. Let's get them less lonely. I just love it. Susan, we have a listener question today. In a recent episode, we mentioned that concerted activity protected by employees, such as complaining about your boss on the job or other things, is there any protection for managers or supervisors for the same types of activities? Are they discussing pay or concerns to their boss, et cetera? Yeah, I, I thought it was a good question. Neither Jody nor I are lawyers, so we're going to share with you our HR knowledge on this. Protected concerted activity is really critical to Section 7 of the National Labor Relations Act. And the National Labor Relations Act and the National Labor Relations Board that you know, is alive and well and make sure that um, the act is followed, it applies only to the private sector. So if you're a government employee or if you're a farm worker or an independent contractor, 
you're, it does not apply to you. So it, there's exceptions right there. But beyond that, the National Labor Relations Act, they purposefully excluded supervisors and managers from the act because protected concerted activity, they wanted to make sure it wasn't people that were too close to the employer. And so that's why it is just your non-supervisory staff that's protected. So but I, what I would say, technically, no. But if you're an employer, you do want to have a great management team and a great supervisory team who feels value seen and heard. And certainly if you are trying to run an organization and you are not providing the space and time for your supervisors and managers to be able to speak up when they've got concerns, it's going to be a very long road to hoe. It's going to be a very difficult situation. So I'm hopeful that management of companies, leaders of companies recognize that the same protections that your uh, workforce has, non-supervisory workforce, it's so smart to make sure that you're listening to your managers and your supervisors and providing them that same window of opportunity to complain when things aren't right. Right. I like it. It's time for In the News. Judith Lamb posted an article on hrmorning.com on August the 7th, 2023, entitled On-Demand Pay on the Rise. Jody, I don't know about you, but I am seeing this option popping up in a variety of different places. Yes. Good. Yeah. It's where you can ask your employer to pay you for the day instead of waiting for a defined organization-wide payday. Judith suggests that with Gen Z growing up with immediate financial mobile apps like Venmo, PayPal, et cetera, they're used to doing financial transactions when and where needed. She cites a survey, which is the State of Gen Z 2021 to 2022 by the Center of Generational Kinetics, where 61% of Gen Zers said they would like the option for daily pay. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I think about, you know, living for payday, which there's been many times I've been living to that next payday. Right. Um, the thought that if you wanted to be able to go to your employer and say, hey, I want to get paid for today or for the last two days if I needed to. Right. Very, very different. Judith suggests that giving our employees the flexibility and control of when they are paid, as well as reducing the stress of workers waiting for that payday, could really make this a good recruiting and retention offering. I do think it's worth us as business leaders and HR professionals to see if our staff want or need this option, or if it makes sense for our organization. Early in my career, I worked in an organization where we could do pay advances up to a maximum of, I think, three times a year per employee. I remember that too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, but what we ended up uh, doing, we eventually did away with it because it was too costly for us to do these off-cycle pay cuts. Um, but I'm thinking maybe we ought to rethink it now because it could be a competitive advantage. And with technology being so much better now, the ability to transfer money to an employee is a couple of keystrokes as opposed to what it used to be in the back of the day. Right. So I think it's worth thinking about. Yes, I find it interesting. I do think, you know, it will definitely be more expensive for the employer to run more payrolls. And I also don't think it's very good for individual budgets, right? Mm. You know, you want to buy something today. Oh, I'll, I get paid today. So, um, but I where I've seen it most or heard about it is in fast food restaurants or senior living communities, uh-huh. you know, maybe for AIDS or the thing too, I think it used to be maybe that employees would 
at least wouldn't quit till after the first paycheck. And now I think they could like, you know, just work a couple of days and say, I don't like this, but I got paid already. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. That could be. It's interesting when I think back about the people that would get the pay advances, what we found usually is that they were trying to meet an immediate need. Right. And it turned out to be a quick fix. However, they needed again and again and again, which right. is why we ended up doing a limit of three. And we started to feel like we weren't really helping people because it was fixing a short problem, but not the real problem, which was money management. Yeah. Right. Or they were in a job that just wasn't paying enough for what their needs. Yeah. yeah. I agree. But, you know, our world is different. So maybe this will be a good strategy for some. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for listening today and make it a joy-powered day. Thank you. If you would like SHRM recertification credit for listening to this podcast, please visit getjoypowered.com slash SHRM. You'll find an evaluation of the podcast. And once you complete the evaluation, you will see the SHRM recertification credit code and a link to a proof of participation certificate. Again, that's getjoypowered.com slash SHRM. Thank you for listening, and thanks for your dedication to the HR profession. If you liked the show, please tell your friends about it and let us know what you think by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. You can learn more about Joy Powered at getjoypowered.com. Check out the Joy Powered shop where you can order our books, journals, and other items that power our joy at getjoypowered.com slash shop. We're at Joy Powered on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at joypowered at gmail.com. We hope you tune in next time. Make it a Joy Powered day.